it's wired into me and it's pounded into me that my first priority is to make sure that I continue to do a good job professionally. And I'll let my wife navigate the emotions in the household because she's better at it. So it's easier for me to just kind of step back saying, you know what, honey, you're better at this than I am. So I just might come in a heavy handed when there needs to be some serious discipline, but you do most of the heavy lifting. And in my experience, it has to happen. We need to meet our partners at least halfway. And as a matter of fact, even more than halfway. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber. And today is a different kind of episode for this show because we're doing a deep dive into the subject of vulnerability, male culture, and parenting specifically in the context of heteronormative relationships. And I have the perfect guest to explore this topic with. Todd Adams, half of the duo of Zen Parenting Radio and a leadership coach for men and the executive director of the international men's organization, Men Living. Todd and I looked at the societal norms and pressures on men that get in the way of their being vulnerable in their relationships, feel more connected at home, and hold emotional space for their families, especially in families with differently wired children where the demands on relationships emotionally, mentally, and physically may be more intense. We also talked about what women can do to support and encourage their male partners to do inner work and show up in a way that will better support their relationships and their family as a whole. And you may recognize Todd, he's been on the show before, but in case you're new to him, here's a little background. Todd Adams co-founded Zen Parenting with his wife, Kathy, 12 years ago, and their Zen Parenting radio podcast is a top 10 parenting podcast whose grounding forces are self-awareness, mindfulness, compassion, and connection. And incidentally, it is one of my favorite podcasts. In addition to being the executive director of Men Living, Todd is a staff member of the Mankind Project and blogs for the Good Men Project. So if you, like a majority of listeners of this show, are a woman in a heteronormative relationship, I encourage you to give your partner a compassionate nudge to listen. There's a lot of food for thought throughout this conversation, and I hope it can be a catalyst for finding deeper connection within your relationship. Thanks so much. And now here is my conversation with Todd. Hey, Todd, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate you having me on. So I've had you and Kathy on together. And then I did a solo with Kathy to talk about her awesome book, Zen Parenting. And y'all should go back and listen to that. I'll have links in the show notes pages for both of those episodes. But now we are having our own one-to-one. So I would love if you could start by just doing your own intro to who you are in the world, what you do. Sure. My name is Todd Adams. I'm married to an amazing woman named Kathy Kasani Adams. We do a podcast together called Zen Parenting Radio. I'm also the executive director of an international men's organization called Men Living. I'm also a life and leadership coach. And I have three amazing daughters, ages 19, 17, and 15. As a way to get started, you mentioned your international organization, Men Living. I want to know more about the work that you do with men and why that has been the area that you've dived deep into. Yeah. So I think the easiest way for me to tell the story is to begin at the beginning. I went on a golf weekend with my buddies when I was like 32 years old and they were college friends. And we did the things that most guys do on golf weekends, which is gamble and drink and play golf. And I got home from the weekend 
exhausted and also joyful because I spent the weekend with my buddies and I got home and Kathy's like, how was the weekend? I said, great. She said, how are the guys? I'm like, they're great. And we went to school together. She, she knows these men. And she's like, I know, but what's going on with them in their worlds, relationships. And I realized over 72 hour period, I did not have a single moment of meaningful conversation with these men. Meanwhile, Kathy would go out with her girlfriends for two hours and know everything. And I just kind of like saw my future of this superficial, artificial, shallow relationship with men. So fast forward, Kathy started doing this women's circle out of her living room. And I'm like, I want to do that. So I invited a buddy and to kind of do the meeting with me. And then we invited a few other buddies. And we just decided that we're going to get together without booze and without ESPN and without TV. And we're just going to like connect authentically. And that's how it started. And that was what, 11 or 12 years ago. And since then, we've turned in, into an international men's organization, men from all over the world, connect on Zoom free of charge. And the whole idea is for us to share authentically and vulnerably so that we can be better connected to ourselves, connected to each other, show up in our relationships with our children, with our partners in a more invigorated, more conscious way. So that's the genesis of what we do and how we do it. And in terms of the guys that show up to your spaces, I'm wondering even how they find you because it seems like the discourse in our culture is that this isn't your typical guy. Your typical guy isn't plugged in. Your typical guy isn't doing that deep inner work. And so I'd love to know how people find you, how men find you. Yeah, they're the unicorns. Most guys grow up in the man box. Most guys are taught that vulnerability is a weakness. I happen to believe that vulnerability is a strength. And that's the only way we can truly connect with other people is with vulnerability. And I'll tell you a quick story. I was at a YMCA father-daughter weekend. And I went year after year after year. And it was just an awful time because the girls would go in one direction. The dads would go in the other directions. The dads just talk about sports and work and all that. And I kept waiting for the men that I was around to be vulnerable. And I got sick of waiting. So I decided that this next year I was going to just dive in with something kind of like deeply personal and authentic and vulnerable. So when a guy's like, Hey, how you doing? Instead of me saying, Oh, work is good. And the kids are good. I'm like, actually, I'm struggling with my relationship with my wife right now. And it's because she thinks that, I'm always trying to fix her problems when I feel like fixing her problems helps, blah, blah, blah. And what I noticed was that some guys would run away scared. Most guys just need an excuse. They need the door open. And I'm now at that place in my life where I really don't care much about how I'm perceived by, well, that's not true. I do care how I'm perceived, but not in the same way. And so now I just like jump in with vulnerability and all that because somebody's got to start. If we keep waiting for the other guy to start in order for us to feel safe, because we need to feel safe if we're going to have conversations with people in a vulnerable way. So I take a risk. And even though I don't know a man in the report, the rapport hasn't been built up to the point where I feel safe. I'm just willing to outsource that and just try to lean in with some vulnerable conversation. And like I said, most of the time the guys will meet me where as long as I take the lead and I hope to continue to cultivate in them so they can go do that in their own lives, whether it's with their partner or with their kids or with their boss or with their employee, with another man, doesn't really matter. 
And you mentioned the man box. Could you tell us more about what that is? And I'm also wondering, is that the same thing as toxic masculinity? Are they related? Oh, it's so interesting you brought up that term. So I'll first explain my version of the man box. The man box is the box that we are painted into, not as soon as we come out of the womb, but pretty quickly after. Parents will sometimes give the boys the fire trucks and give the girls the dolls. And that's the beginning of the man box. But where the man box ends up evolving into is I am how much money I have. My value is predicated on how many trophies, athletic trophies I have in my bedroom. I am how many girls like me. All these inauthentic ways of valuing human beings. And we work from this unconscious place that we're just always trying to be on the social ladder. So I know my value is not predicated on how much money I have, although I still have money baggage that I'm continuing to work through. But when when you're in your 20s and 30s, you're trying, if you happen to identify as straight, a lot of guys think that you're only as cool as how many girls that you are able to court. The man box means I can't have any feelings or if I can have any feelings at all, anger is the only one that's tolerable. I can't be afraid. I can't be sad. I can't even be joyful. It's uncool to be joyful. And if there's any middle-aged men like me listening out there, my invitation is when was the last time you like had a big belly laugh? When was the last time you literally jumped for joy? That doesn't happen very often. So that, so let me pivot over to the toxic masculinity thing. It's funny because I don't get triggered by that term toxic masculinity, but some of the, some men who I care deeply about who've done men's work forever, they get so reactive to that term because they think it's an assault on them. I'm navigating whether or not I still want to use that term because it it's something I feel comfortable using and it describes, it doesn't take much effort to find out why that term is used. You know, one in six college age girls are sexually assaulted Although sexual assault does happen to boys and men, most of the people who get assaulted are women by men. So I know that not one gender owns the idea of it happening to them or being victims of it. But most of the time, it's men doing this to women. And right now in this moment, I've had an exchange with some other friends and they're like, yeah, that that language, toxic masculinity is one that draws a line and separates the guys. And if we really want to call these guys in, we have to stop using that term. I'm still not on board with that. But what I did find out from a friend is that there's another term that might be more appropriate, which is restricted masculinity. So in other words, we can't be the best version of ourselves if we live in the man box. And that might be a little bit better language to approach it with. I consider myself both masculine and feminine. There's masculine traits for me and there's feminine traits in me. And I don't consider myself wholly masculine or wholly feminine. I'm both. If I'm if I'm navigating through this world and from a healthy place, I'll use my feminine energy, which is the nurturing, the the empathic, the deep listening from a, a more feminine place. And then there's times when I need to use my masculine energy. And so I don't feel the assault that some of the other guys do because I feel like they're interchanging toxic masculinity with toxic manhood. There's a difference between, you know, gender and those terms. So it gets it gets really mixed up. And my mind totally wants to have a different conversation now than we plan to, but no, we're going to stick with our plan for today. But I do think it's fascinating to me and I appreciate you sharing that backlash or that reaction to that term among men. We'll be right back after this quick break. 
There's so much more to maintaining a healthy gut microbiome than eating a balanced and healthy diet, travel, certain medications, and of course, something many of us have plenty of in our daily life, stress, are just some of the other factors that can totally throw off our systems. Enter Ritual. They created Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Their supplement includes two of the world's most clinically studied probiotic strains to support the relief of mild and occasional bloating, gas, and diarrhea. I like Symbiotic Plus because it delivers all this goodness in one single nested minty delayed-released capsule designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract. And because the capsules don't require refrigeration, I just keep them on my desk so that I get that helpful visual cue every morning. Plus, they're easy to bring with me when I travel. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash tilt for 25% off. We just celebrated our two-year anniversary of Gotcha Day when we adopted our sweet Haskell, my cat who acts like a dog, plays fetch, and who I'm pretty sure has sensory processing differences. Are you getting a new pet soon? That means you'll need to think about getting the necessities like food, toys, a bed. Something you may not be thinking about, though, is pet insurance. That's why you should check out ASPCA Pet Health Insurance. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program offers customizable accident and illness plans, making it easier for pet parents like you to help your pet get the care they may need. The ASPCA Pet Health Insurance Program has been around for over 18 years, and they've helped more than 600,000 pets during that time. They allow you to customize your plan, helping ensure that your pet's plan is as unique as they are, because vet bills can really add up, especially when you're least expecting it. It's simple. Use their app to submit a claim and you'll receive reimbursement for eligible vet bills directly into your bank account. To explore coverage, visit ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. That's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. Again, that's ASPCAPetInsurance.com slash parenting. This is a paid advertisement. Insurance is underwritten by either Independence American Insurance Company or United States Fire Insurance Company and produced by PTZ Insurance Agency Limited. The ASPCA is not an insurer and is not engaged in the business of insurance. I want to pivot to talking a little bit about relationships. And I think we're primarily talking about heteronormative relationships for this conversation. What is it that creates a disconnect for men to really show up Is it just a factor of being raised in this culture, in this man box, or are there other barriers that are in place in a typical, I don't even know if typical exists, but a typical heteronormative relationship that stand in the way of men feeling more connected in those? Yeah, I think the question is, is it nature or nurture? And I do, you know, there's obviously differences in the way boys mature. I know boys mature much more slowly than girls. So there is some, you know, hardwiring going on. But for me personally, I think it's mostly conditioning. It reminds me of the story that always brings me some sadness. I have a bunch of really wonderful relationships with other men and for the men I feel comfortable with, I, we hug and we say hi to each other and we there's physical touch involved, which I know in this homophobic society is really scary to a lot of guys out there. But I was in downtown in the suburb I live in 
And there's two boys holding hands and they're about four years old. And I just, I almost started crying because it was so beautiful to me. Like what a wonderful thing. And the reason I almost started crying was because I know that as soon as they get to kindergarten, they're going to hear something in school that says that's not what boys do with each other. So there's like this little sweet spot of we're all human beings and whether we're boys or girls or we can be affectionate towards one another. To answer your question, Debbie, I think it starts out really young and this conditioning is pounded into us from the get-go. Personally, I feel really safe in my head. So when my wife comes home from a hard day of work and she talks about what went wrong, it's very natural for me to say, well, why don't you try this or this or this? And I learned very early in my marriage that that is not a good way of being in relationship with my wife. She wants an empathic ear. She wants to be paid attention to, not while I'm on my phone and trying to pay attention to her. Like, can I give her my full presence? And it's not something that's taught. That's the bottom line is we are not taught any of these things, you would think it would come naturally to us, but it doesn't. And it's pounded out of us. So my hope is that us guys in a heteronormative relationship can get curious about, okay, if you're not connecting with your partner, what's stopping you? Instead of blaming the other guys will be like, oh, my wife is crazy. There's something else available. If you can get curious about how to more deeply connect with your counterpart and it's not a skill that's taught. Like we need to read, we need to work on ourselves. We need to be in relationship with people that model it for us. And this comes to parenting. Like my dad, bless his heart, was not a good model of how to be in relationship. He taught me that it's normal to yell at your wife. That's the household I grew up in. And that is an issue. So all these societal conditioning usually starts in the home and it comes from the modeling that we have for our children. And then one other quick thing is I know that if my three daughters end up wanting to pick a male partner, they're going to compare every relationship they have in their lives with the way that I treat my wife. Our kids learn a lot more by observing what we do versus listening to what we say. So if it's normal for me to yell at my wife, they're going to think it's normal for their partner to yell at them. So there's a lot there and a lot that we as guys need. And I, I don't want to be a man hater. I love guys. I started an international men's organization to create a space for guys to connect deeply so that they can go out and spread conscious masculinity out there. And uh, But I think that we as guys have a long way to go. And I'm wondering through the community that you've created and the men that you've worked with, knowing the audience for this podcast are parents and caregivers who are raising neurodivergent kids, I hear from so many, mostly moms who are struggling with their partner feeling disconnected or their partner not being on the same page. And we talked a little bit about this when both you and Kathy were on the show, but I'm wondering in your experience, are there special considerations or challenges for dads feeling connected in relationship when their kids are more challenging or neurodivergent? Yeah, I think it goes back to what do we prioritize? And, you know, the fact that I'm guessing most of your audience, Debbie, are moms who have neurodivergent kids. And most of the people that listen to our podcasts and parenting are mostly moms. Why is that? It's because us guys think that we have it all figured out and we're not willing to look at it. Although, you know, a lot of guys out there, they say, okay, what I do is, and this is totally old school 
not the way it is anymore. But as long as I put food on my family's table, my job is complete. And that's simply not the case. Kathy wants me to meet her halfway with everything, with caring for our daughters, to be empathic listeners, to washing the dishes, to cooking the food, to cleaning the house, to all that stuff. And I still struggle with it. I would love to say, oh, yeah, I'm, I processed through all that. It's wired into me and it's pounded into me that my first priority is to make sure that I continue to do a good job professionally. And I'll let my wife navigate the emotions in the household because she's better at it. So it's easier for me to just kind of step back saying, you know what, honey, you're better at this than I am. So I just might come in a heavy handed when there needs to be some serious discipline, but you do most of the heavy lifting. And in my experience, it has to happen. We need to meet our partners at least halfway. And as a matter of fact, even more than halfway, because I have the attitude that my wife simply gives more than I do. And I'm trying to make up for lost time because I spent the first 10 years of my parenting career, just focus solely on work. And when my kids get home and they have a, have a bad day, they will, first question they'll ask is where's mom? And it's so disheartening to me. And I'll be like, what about me? I'm right here. And it's because I haven't created a safe enough space for them to share with me because Kathy's been doing all the heavy lifting. When men join men living your organization or come to do this work, I'm curious to know what brings them to you. I imagine there's fear there or concerns. What do you find that they're struggling with the most? They're lonely. Guys are lonely. And it's weird because my judgment is women are better at connecting with each other more authentically. And most men, I don't know how many billions of men are out there. Most of them would have no interest in stepping into a space that men living would or any other wonderful men's organization might create because they're going to be asked to be vulnerable. And that's a scary place because we're taught since we were born, vulnerability is weakness. And for me, the only vehicle connection in relationship is vulnerability. So the ones that find us, some of them are ready to jump in with both feet. Some of them are testing the waters to see if it's something that's helpful, but it's a lot easier to, you know, see a bunch of guys drinking at a bar, watching Monday night football than it is you know, a bunch of guys sitting in a circle sharing something really authentic and vulnerable. It's it's not something that happens, but the answer is we're lonely and the statistics back it up. I mean, the highest demographic of suicide is middle-aged men. I figured it was kids and it's not. And it's because the quality of our lives as human beings, in my judgment, is based on the quality of our relationships. And if we're not connected in an authentic way to other people, then we're lost. And we just live in a society where guys are taught that they should be able to do it all on their own and not ask for help. And it's a warped way of understanding manhood, in my judgment. Darren, my husband has been on the show a few times, and we've really talked about how we have navigated our journey of raising Asher. I'll share the link to that in the show notes, too, if you want to listen to those. But I feel like Darren is a very connected husband. And I still imagine that even men who are pretty plugged in are still under the surface grappling with these same issues that they're always kind of there. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. We're trying to peel the onion back and the onion's been kind of closed up for a long time. I do have a little more hope for this generation that's coming behind us. Hopefully we've modeled a little bit better. And it's a little bit easier to see what healthy masculinity looks like these days. Although when you turn on the news, in most cases, the news is because a man has made a bad decision, whether it's 
Ukraine and Russia, whether it's climate change, us trying to get richer faster at the expense of the environment. I sometimes when I speak, I trigger a lot of guys out there because they think I'm just beating up on men. But the bottom line is we're the ones that have the most influence. You know, if you look at how many people are in Congress and how many of them are white men, it's most. If you look at the Fortune 500 companies, it's mostly white men. And if we have this influence, let's use it to connect with ourselves, with our partners, with our community, with our climate. And we simply have a lot of work to do. So what Men Living does is try to do our own version of raising the consciousness of what healthy masculinity looks like. What does that do for a family? So you've talked a lot about vulnerability. Again, thinking about listeners living their challenging existence with their neurodivergent kids and maybe being in a partnership where people are on different pages. Like what can actually happen for those families when men do commit to doing this work and showing up more vulnerably in those relationships? Well, I I feel like the only way to connect for real is to connect with vulnerability, which requires a little bit of self-reflection. It's so much easier for me to try to fix my wife or fix my kids than it is for me to fix myself. And fix is probably not the best word. I would probably use personal growth. But instead of looking at why our kids aren't the way that they are or why our wife doesn't love us the way that we think she should or our partner, Instead, let's look at ourselves. Let's look in the mirror and how can we be the best version of ourselves? And when we do that, it just kind of seeps out into whoever you happen to be around. My personal struggles are not with blaming my wife or my kids. I happen to be really hard on myself. And I think that's more of a human condition. I think I'm sure there's some people out there that like to blame others quicker than to blame themselves, but I am by far my worst critic. So if I can get my arms around, okay, Todd, you're doing your best. Take a breath go easy on yourself. If I can do that, I'm guessing that I it's easier for me to be in relationship with the people that I love. But yeah, it just naturally kind of seeps out. If we're working on ourselves, then it seeps out into the people that we're surrounded with. Yeah. And when raising challenging kids, so much of what we talk about and the experts I have on the show, we talk about being present, being mindful, like really just showing up. And so I just imagine that any of this work you can do to be more vulnerable opens the door for that presence and that ability to show up in a way that would better serve the whole family. Yeah. The term that we use on Zen Parenting all the time is self-awareness. And really what that is, is can I pause for a second and respond instead of react? There's a lot of people out there that are really good at reacting without thinking. Can I have enough discipline that next time something triggering happens to me, Can I locate to see if I'm in a place of openness and curiosity or instead am I in a place of closeness or defensiveness and that or that I have a need to be right? I don't think I'm going to get anywhere unless I first try to just locate where I am in this present moment. And it's not easy, you know, because when we get scared, we go back to the back of our brain and we react from that place. But we do have this wonderful thing called a prefrontal cortex, which differentiates us from the animals. And we have the ability to pause and reflect and then respond from that place. And like I said, maybe eight times out of 10, I still kind of get in this reactive place. And my goal is to make that ratio a little bit more friendly. Yeah, I'm in the same place as you are. It is a fledgling skill, the pause and reflect and then respond as opposed to reacting. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. 
I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. So I wanted to ask this question in two parts for women listening. Again, that is the majority of this listenership. And I hope that women listening will share this episode and gently encourage their partner. They have a male partner to listen to this. First, how can women encourage or open the door for their male partners to do this work? That's part one. Part two is if a man is willing and open to doing this work, how can women best support that process? Mm, Yeah, those two very good questions. So I'll start with the second one first. How can women support it's funny because I think a lot of women will be like, oh, just get more vulnerable. I have been in rooms with men that get vulnerable with their wives and their wives um, are very surprised and end up negatively reinforcing that behavior. They're not used to it. It scares them. You know, if your husband is used to never crying and then all of a sudden he gets in this vulnerable place, it could scare the woman in this case. My invitation for the women out there would be, If your guy is brave enough to be vulnerable to support him and love him through it and 
connect with him in an authentic way because for us guys to do that, it's a really scary place. We've been taught that this is not what guys do. Are there things that women with a male partner listening to this can do to encourage their partner to explore this? So that's that's tricky because us guys, I, I can't speak for us guys. I sometimes don't like being told what to do. I don't like somebody telling me, you know, even like in my marriage, I love, I'm in a great marriage with my wife, Kathy, but sometimes I'll bite my nails when we're like sitting next to each other, watching TV and she'll like, you know, just gently tap my fingers because it's annoying hearing somebody bite their nails. And even that, like I, we talk about that reactivity, like I'm like, there's, I don't say this out loud, but there, I have a body reaction, which is don't tell me what to do. So this is a very fine line for the women out there that are married to men, because if the guys receive this as their their women are telling them what to do and how to do it, it's very easy to get defensive. But at the same time, in a heteronormative relationship, if they don't, if the women don't say anything, then they're just going to keep moving on and nothing is going to change. So there needs to be a sweet spot in there that you can do. I, the, the phrase I like to use is gentle nudges. Like I don't react well to ultimatums. I don't know if anybody else does. And it is possible if somebody might be in a marriage where it is an ultimatum, like, listen, if you don't start showing up for me in a way, then we're going to have to make some serious decisions. But if there's something workable, then a gentle nudge, it makes me think of a story. Kathy's been reading self-help books forever. And she told me about this guy named Eckhart Tolle. He wrote this book called A New Earth. And I, started listening to it on an audiobook and I'm like I can't even understand this guy he's got like this thick accent and and she's like yeah I just thought you might like it and she let it go and then like Oprah did her series with Eckhart a few years later and I loved it and a book it's a book that changed my life but what Kathy did was she just invited me to it she wasn't attached to me reading the book she simply like gestured it out and when I said no she didn't say well when are you going to read that book like that's that's a recipe for disaster she just gave me that invitation. She was detached from the outcome. And then, you know, she was really patient. Two years later, I, all of a sudden I started really taking a good hard look in the mirror, seeing how it is that I show up through some of the teachings of Tolle and, you know, any number of other authors out there. So two years, that's what we can expect from that person. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate that. And I love the language of a gentle nudge. I think to me that phrase also just equates compassion. I always try to remind, you know, anyone in this parenting journey that we're all going through this with our own baggage, our own challenges, and in our own way. And if we can see our partner with compassion for their own unique experience, that can really make a big difference. In terms of talking about dads, I run a parent community, the Differently Wired Club. It's probably 97% women. There are a couple of dads in there, but can you talk a little bit about the importance of dads supporting other dads? You know, sometimes people, former colleagues of my husband will reach out and they'll have a challenging kid and, the, and Darren loves when people do that to be able to be that point of contact. It can be especially challenging for a dad to have a complicated kid. It can confront them in ways they weren't prepared for. So can you talk about the importance of that dad community and why that's so important? Yeah. I mean, if I let my wife do all the heavy lifting regarding parenting and all I did was provide there's something that we as dads can bring to the table that moms sometimes aren't as as good at 
whatever that is. And sometimes it's role reversal. Sometimes it's the mom showing up as this like warrior type strength. And my guess is if you're mother of a neurodivergent kid, I think of like mama bears, like do not mess with a mama bear. And where I get challenged sometimes is, you know, whether it's in your community in our team's end community or conferences, we even did a screening of a documentary called The Mask You Live In. Have you ever seen The Mask You Live In? I have not. It's a wonderful documentary created by Jennifer Siebel Newsom. I think it's Governor Newsom's wife. And it's all about healthy masculinity. And we did a local screening of it in our movie theater. And we promoted it saying, guys, this is your opportunity to show up and know what healthy masculinity might look like the negative impact of toxic masculinity, please show up. And we had about 200 people in the audience watching the movie with us. And I would say about 175 of them were women. And it was about masculinity. It was directed towards the dads and they simply do not show up. When we are lucky enough to be courageous enough to show up in a circle of whether it's other men or a parenting community, the group is stronger for it. If it's a bunch of women trying to not fix the problems, but get their arms around something. And if it's just the women doing it, it's at the expense of your children's experience. So I don't really know if I have an answer for it. And I think it is getting better, but I I just find it so interesting how guys will spend two and a half hours picking up their fantasy football pickups on a Wednesday night, yet they won't listen to a podcast that their wife wants them to listen to. And I would, I would love to say I'm in a better place that I know exactly why, but I've been doing this work for so long. Sometimes I like forget the way I used to be. And it's important to have compassion for those guys and also ask them to, for accountability and to step up. A lot of times Kathy and I will be talking to a parent and it'll be the mom and she'll say, my husband is completely tuned out of this family and he doesn't show up for this and that. And we'll ask, well, what does he say when you bring this up to him? And she'll say, well, I've kind of given up. I don't even bring it up anymore. And I'm like, well, that's a problem. If you really want the trajectory of this family unit to be a certain way, you at least need to bring it up to him. I know my wife had to bring it up to me many, many times. I'm lucky enough to be with a woman that even when she does get reactive and she's like, you know, Todd, you've been traveling too much for work. She'll start it out by saying, this isn't about you. I just need to like vent and say some of these things. And even to this day, I still get really defensive. And then I take a breath and I'm like, okay, I can hold the space for a second. But my initial reaction, no matter how long I've done this work is one of defensiveness. And then it takes a little bit of work to kind of locate where I am, take a breath and then engage in an empathic way. Yeah. I think sometimes just starting that conversation, I know I didn't start conversations for years because I just, it wasn't worth it getting into it. And like, I'll just handle this on my own, but it has definitely been worth it to get through the other side of that and have those conversations. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about men living and what you offer through that. And just generally speaking, how dads can find other like-minded dads to connect with if they want to find that community. Yeah, I mean, it's as easy as Googling men's groups, and there's there's so many of them out there. Men Living happens to be one of them. But as far as what we do, we have six programs a week, Monday night meeting, Tuesday night specific for separation and divorce. Guys, Tuesday morning is a meditation group, and then Wednesday noon, Wednesday night, and Saturday morning 
and we have facilitators that lead a discussion about sometimes it's just about checking in what's going on in their lives. And we just share openly and organically. Other times the facilitator come in with a piece that they want to work on, whether it's about accountability or feeling their feelings or withholding or listening skills. And it's all free. 99% of what we do is free. So we're not trying to make any money off of anybody. We really just want to provide a space to offer guys to connect deeply and live fully. I mean, that's really what we want to do. We also do some in-person gatherings every now and again, but mostly it's virtual. So it doesn't matter where you are. We have guys from New Zealand, guys from Australia, guys from India. Most of the people are from the United States. And it's one of those things, you'll get out of it as much as you put into it. And it's been working out beautifully so far. And we just want to grow it. We have a vision to build a world of healthy, intentional, and connected men. And what we do is we create spaces to let that happen. I love that. Listeners, I'll have links to Zen Parenting, to everything we talked about today, and to Men Living on the show notes page. It just sounds like such a wonderful resource. Is there something you want to leave listeners with, something you hope that they take from this conversation or that they could play with in their life? I just want to say, if there's any guys out there listening, just keep working on yourself. There is a bunch of support out there available, whether it's through Men Living or somewhere else. To the women out there that are in a heteronormative relationship, Step into a place of empowerment with empathy and ask for what you need. And, you know, for guys out there, our typical reaction is sometimes we react with grandiosity and we'll get very big. We'll start yelling or we'll crawl into this little hole of shame. And usually I don't get grandiose very big, but I do get small sometimes when Kathy has something cooking and she's like, Todd, you've been traveling too much. I'll get really small and scared. And that's an invitation for me to look at myself. So it's all an invitation. And how do we navigate through the conflict? Because the conflict is is how we get even more deeply connected. And this is coming from somebody who has an aversion to conflict. I'm getting more and more friendly with conflict as I go, but I still have a lot of work to do on that front too. Great. Thank you so much. I'm just really happy that you're doing this work. I knew that you were doing this work, but I didn't understand all the nuances of it. And it just feels it's so critical. And I love your mission, your big picture mission. I'm all for that. So thank you for everything that you shared with us today. Thank you, Debbie. I really appreciate the opportunity. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. To go deeper into this episode, visit the extensive show notes page. For every episode, there's a dedicated page on my website with links to all the resources mentioned, a full transcript, and a podcast player with key takeaways marked so you can easily go back and re-listen to the sections you're most interested in. Just go to tiltparenting.com slash podcast and select this episode. The Tilt Parenting Podcast is hosted by me, Debbie Reber, author of the book Differently Wired and the founder of Tilt Parenting. This episode was edited by Andrea Curtis Amasquita, and show notes were put together by myself, Andrea, and Lindsay McFadden. If you get a lot out of this podcast and want to help cover the cost of its production, please consider joining my Patreon campaign. On Patreon, you can sign up to make a small monthly contribution, as little as $2 a month, and it's super easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash parenting to learn more or click on the Patreon link on any show notes page. To follow Tilt Parenting on social media, go to at Tilt Parenting on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Lastly, please help this podcast stay visible and easily found by the listeners who need it by subscribing and leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you so much. 
And that's all for this week. Stay safe, stay well, and take good care. And for more information about this podcast or any of the resources that Tilt offers, visit TiltParenting.com. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were. But the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom and Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.